0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about harvest a little bit. If you've got a harvest update for us, we'd love to have you call into the show. The number is 844 44 ag That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So just talking harvest a little bit from our own farm, we're hopefully going to wrap everything up tomorrow other than just a few plots that we've got. Um, I would say yields were better than I expected. We had a severe drought. Then we also had hail. (laughs) So it's like, oh my goodness, we finally get rain. And then it comes in the the solid form. And that was early August. And you go, oh my goodness, what else is going to happen this year? Well, then of course we had, I'm going to say, I'm trying to think of what the number was, 70 something mile an hour winds just as harvest was getting going. So we also had that too. Fortunately, we have lots of potassium in most of our ground and so our, our crop stood pretty well, but... It's like just one thing after another this year. That's just the way it goes sometimes. And as you can tell from my mood, you just sometimes have to laugh it off because obviously we can't control the weather. We couldn't control the drought. We couldn't control the hail. We couldn't control the super strong wind that we got toward the end of the season. So, yeah, that's just the way it goes some years. I mean, fortunately... we're we're probably still are going to average out pretty good on corn. I know our beans finished like 52, 53, something like that. So not too bad considering all those terrible conditions. Where we didn't have the hail, we were in the 60s, um, and even one field like 73. For almost no rain this year, I was really tickled by that. And our best corn field went 246. Uh, we'll see when we finish things up here in the next couple of days, if we end up with anything a little better than that. But anyway, not not terrible, but certainly hoping for even more next year. Now, as I say all this, one of the things that I really encourage you to do because of the way fertilizer prices are, and just for the fact that Crop prices are high. you got a lot of dollars at stake in every field that you have. I would encourage you, do maybe a little bit more soil testing than normal. Here's what you may find. This is what we found on our farm. Lots of excess nitrogen after corn. Now, after soybeans, I would say it was about average. So we had anywhere from 20 to 60 pounds of nitrogen left after soybeans. But in corn, we have some spots that are 200 pounds of nitrogen still sitting there. I have no idea where it came from, but all I know is I'm glad I tested because now I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of money on nitrogen this fall or this coming spring. And you might say, well, you could still lose that. Sure, it's possible we could still lose it. But since we haven't had a real rain or much for a real rain in like a year and a half and we're just about to freeze up here, I'm not too concerned about losing it. Plus we have heavy soil. So that makes a lot of difference. A lot of our soil is 20-25 CEC. So when it's bone dry right now, I mean it'd literally take 10 inches of rain for us to be losing, leaching out a whole bunch of nitrogen. We're that dry and our ground is that heavy. So I don't think we're going to get 10 inches of rain before freeze up in another month or so here. So anyway, I'm just saying in our case, in our situation, not in all situations, not in all soils, not in all areas or anything like that, but at least in our case, we're going to have a lot of carryover N going into next spring. Had I not soil tested, I wouldn't have known that. I would have assumed, oh, it's after corn. We must have no nitrogen left. So we'll just put a whole bunch on for these corn on corn acres that we're going to do. And we may have actually rotated to soybeans on a couple of fields. Actually, I think I got three or four fields where we were considering rotating to soybeans. But I look at how much nitrogen's left. I got over 100 pounds on average in the soil. And like I say, some areas, 200. I'm going, hmm, uh, that's a lot of dollars of nitrogen there. Nitrogen is trading right now. Now, it depends if you're buying anhydrous or urea, but let's say you're buying urea right now. It's like 75 cents an actual pound. So if I have 100 pounds sitting out there, that's $75 worth of nitrogen. Do I really want to go plant beans or should I take my $75 and put it toward raising some more corn next year? So, you know, that's obviously been one of the things we've been talking about too, and I'll just cut to the chase. We're probably going corn in those fields. So it's a lot of nitrogen. Nitrogen's expensive, Yet, the corn price is still pretty good. So everybody's been talking about, oh, fertilizer's really high. I'm just going to switch away from corn and wheat. You know what? If enough people switch away from corn and wheat, the corn and wheat prices are going to be outstanding. And for those of us who continue to raise corn and wheat, um, we're going to turn out pretty good. So nobody can predict how all that stuff is going to turn out. So as you have probably heard on the show here over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking several people, and I probably will today too, you know, what are you thinking next year? Do you think you might go some more beans or or what do you want to do for your corn acres or wheat acres or any of these fields where you have to put some nitrogen on? A lot of the people on the show over the last couple weeks have actually said the same thing I've been thinking. You know what? I don't know that I really want to change my rotation a whole lot because as soon as I go like all beans, well, guess what? Maybe everybody in the country goes all beans. The price of beans goes down. The price of corn spikes way up, and all of a sudden, I would have been wishing, man, I I should have planted some more corn. So it's really hard to know what to do with that. All right, Uh, next thing I would say. A lot of people have been getting really concerned about ag chemical Supply, and I will just say this: I'm not that worried about ag chemical supply, even on Liberty. I, the price is going to be so high. I just still believe that there are going to be enough people that go away from Liberty uh, uh, that there should be enough supply to go around. We'll see. I, I didn't. I didn't really necessarily believe that not too long ago, but I don't know. I start running the numbers, and even like for our own farm. It sounds like the enlist one price or 24D price is going to be about the same as last year, and there's all kinds of supply. A lot of retailers already have everything they need for the whole year next year sitting on hand today. So you go, hmm, am am I ahead to go Liberty uh, on one of my passes, or for at least for one year? Should I just go two shots of enlist one and save myself like seven, eight bucks an acre? You know. I guess that's the, the, that, That's a debate. I mean, we really like mixing mode of act, modes of action, but when the product's short and it costs a whole bunch of money and you go, you know, I'm getting good weed control with my Enlist One and maybe I'll throw another residual out there. I could throw the residual out plus the Enlist One and still be less money than Liberty. Maybe I'll go that direction. So anyway, a lot of unanswered questions yet as we go into next year. But for today, we'd like your answers on how's harvest going on your farm? How are the yields? How are you progressing with harvest? How do things look in your geography right now? So if you want to give us a call, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll go to the phone lines coming up next.
1: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, marestail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
3: I now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action
1: News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
0: New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elavor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're taking phone calls. We'd like to get your harvest update if you want to call in. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. That's what Mike did from out in West Virginia. Hey, Mike, how are you today?
4: Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you?
0: Excellent. I hear you just started harvest.
4: Well, I'm going back to the field and try to start again here in another hour or so. We just got some beans that refused to get dry enough for us to do much anything. Too many green leaves, too many green stems. We got about three inches of rain Friday evening. That didn't help matters any.
0: Nope. You know, this fall when we started our soybeans, and I assume it's because of the drought that we had, it was some of the greenest looking stuff I'd ever seen in my life. I It, it smelled like we were cutting silage practically when we were combining beans and, and yet the bean seed was actually dry, but there were green leaves, green stems, everything. So it was slow going, it turned out okay. But yeah, I understand your frustration because it stinks when you're ready to go and the crop's not.
4: Yeah. My neighbor... Uh started running there i don't know about 12 or 1 and he was cutting 17 percent. but i've got to haul these directly out and i i just can't afford to no take that hit yep. at, at the elevator yep
0: yep so gotcha
4: it's slow going a little bit of corn got done last week uh but i mine's still 22 24 and i'd like to get it down to 20 before i start doing anything sure
0: so what are you hearing for yields on corn and beans in your area
4: uh, no real specifics. I think it's average or above average. Uh, we had about, oh, I don't know, six weeks of some dry weather there in late July and through most of August. And I think that knocked a top end off. Uh, there are some good spots. You know, there's going to probably be a lot of over 200 bushel corn. But the, the holes out in the middle of the field... We'll knock that back down, I'm afraid. And uh, I think everyone's going to have at least an average yield, maybe slightly better, but it's not going to be record-breaking by any means.
0: How's your market in your area? Is the basis level pretty good? I mean, do you have much livestock in your area or anything?
4: Uh, We're in a corn deficit area. So uh, corn, uh, if you have really good quality, you have to have almost no damage whatsoever. And uh, you, we have a positive basis on corn. So uh, that, that's real good. Beans, that's a different story. And we have to haul them 90 miles to uh, get them to a terminal. So it's, that's a little bit different. But just about everybody rotates some. So, uh, so, you know, we're not just corn on corn.
0: And I understand you do a fair amount of cover crop work, too. Have you been doing that long?
4: Yeah, I've been doing it all oh, since two thousand eight, I guess, pretty much continuously. And uh I it's I'm still learning. By the time I you know, they bury me I might have this figured out.
0: <laughs> well tell us maybe one or two quick things you have learned with cover crops. See it kinda helps speed that learning process for, for the rest of us.
4: Well, strangely enough, when you're planting green uh if you have a fairly good cover, it will actually help dry the ground out to where you can can get going sometimes, yep. which kind of surprises me. I mean, I at first I thought, well, that, that stuff will never dry. Quite the contrary, it uh, that it'll it'll suck the moisture out. But too much of a cover crop can be a bad thing too. I've had issues getting adequate stand because. I've had too much cover crop, and yep. if you get delayed late into May, then you have trouble.
0: Gotcha. So, do you usually seed your cover crop fairly thin then to try to to, to try to give you give yourself a little more leeway?
4: That's what I've been kind of working on here yep. lately. Of uh, rather than have seventy pounds of cereal rye, drop that way way down below thirty. And I've actually started planting cover crops in 30-inch rows. I've done that two years now, and huh. I kind of like that idea of then split the middle. This is for corn, of course. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've got a clear window there for that corn to emerge. Sometimes right. that thick cover crop, if you've got too much cover there, it the corn is spindly, and it just doesn't get off to a good start.
0: Yep. That's actually a great idea, Mike. Uh, thanks a lot for the insight. Really appreciate it. And best of luck to you as you get started with harvest here. Stay safe. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Let's go down to Kansas now. We got Adam calling in. Hey, Adam, how are things on your farm today?
3: Oh, we finally caught a rain that we've, uh, we've been missing for, for a while. And so um, we're having our first break from harvest and, and sowing wheat for uh, several weeks now.
0: Well, it's kind of nice to have a break every once in a while, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, we needed it. Um, <laughs> we've been pushing pretty hard. So uh, we've been harvesting now for, for several weeks. Um, just And honestly, we I think kind of like everyone, it sounds like in the country, we've been dealing with uh, beans that are dry, but having green stems and even some leaves on them. So yeah. making us take a break and let those beans try to get dried down um, It's going to make everyone's life a lot more more enjoyable
0: yeah that's for sure so how have yields been so far
3: um uh, all
0: over the place really
3: uh on the irrigated corn if you could get by with uh without any storm storm damage this year and you sprayed a fungicide Mm -hmm. irrigated corn yields are really good um and likewise on our uh, our irrigated beans and then the uh the little bit of dryland beans we've got into are really surprising us. in terms of how they're yielding, we, we, the way we kind of ended up pretty hot and dry, I thought we were going to lose a lot of top end yield. And honestly we maybe did, but we're having really good dry land bean yields too, especially given how, how dry we were this summer. Um, but one thing that was different this summer than typically is we were really humid and I think that kind of allowed a lot of plants to stay alive where normally they would have given up here.
0: Yep. I agree with that 100%. We talk about that all the time. Humidity is almost as important as rainfall. If you can at least have humidity, the crop can survive a lot longer. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned on the irrigated corn. You said it was good, especially where you used fungicide. So tell us about the fungicide thing. What, what are you gaining with the fungicide use? Is there a certain disease or what?
3: Well, that's what's kind of crazy because he, like our crop scout, he, he talked about where he, he would have guys where they didn't have any leaf issues. Um, No diseases present. Yep. Uh, he didn't think there was going to be a need for a fungicide. And yep. then there was still a 20 to 30 yield bushel advantage. Um, and we sprayed most of ours uh, going for kind of late season plant health because we had some really nasty hail into May that really screwed up some fields. And uh, like I said, those were good yields. And so pretty well all our corn was sprayed with fungicide, so I can't say on our farm um, like what the difference was, but this from yield reports, it was, it was a pretty big deal and had to just be general plant health, I guess, because it wasn't, the leaf diseases didn't come on like you would have thought they would have this year.
0: I was always a skeptic of this plant health thing and I thought, ah, I don't know. And then Darren and I went over to Denmark, this is almost 10 years ago, or probably right at 10 years ago now. And I was talking to this agronomist over there, and I just they were spraying a lot of headline at the time. They call it comet over in Denmark. And I said, well, what diseases are you killing in your wheat? And he goes, oh, it doesn't kill any disease. And I go, wait a second here. You got the fungicide that you're selling. You must be one heck of a salesman to sell something that doesn't work. And he goes, no, it works great. We get all kinds of yield. It's all plant health. And I'm like, really? He goes, absolutely. If we don't add the headline to the tank, we lose yield on our wheat every single time. So anyway, ever since then, it's like, okay, well, I guess I kind of have to give that that a little bit of benefit and you know when you talked about um a this year a lot of things were maybe a little better than you thought didn't maybe have the rain I mean we really suffered from that that too it was dry here but yeah our fungicide still paid on our farm too so I, I don't know what it was it must have been that plant health thing
3: yeah and you know this year when that like for us we had our fertilizer
0: on early and was priced pretty good. And then,
3: with the way the corn price was, it made it pretty easy to pull that fungicide trigger. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you maybe guys had to decide do we want to go with the, some of the higher priced stuff or maybe some of the generics? But I think either way, um, guys are seeing a benefit. So
0: it yep.
3: was a good move for us.
0: Yep. I agree. All right. Uh, Adam, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. And best of luck as you continue harvest here.
4: All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Thank you.
0: All right, if you'd like to call in and give us a harvest report from your farm, we'd love to hear from you, 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show as well. You can send us a question at radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight,
3: gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity... With fast payback, an expanded application window,
2: <sighs>
3: makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states.
2: Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC herbicide. The latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Fill once, plant all day.
3: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean—they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k-y-b-e-r herbicide.com/soy.
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We'd love to have you call into our show today. We're just talking harvest. We'd like to get a harvest update from you on your farm. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to go right back to the phone lines now. we got Brent calling in from up in Manitoba, Canada. Brent, how are you today? Uh, good, you? Excellent. So as far as harvest goes on your farm, where are you at? Uh,
3: we're 100% done.
0: Oh, nice. And how'd you turn out? Well, less than half of the crop. Ooh. So severe drought? Yes. That's too bad. Yep. Was uh, So what crops did you raise this year? Uh, wheat, barley, canola, flax. Anything turn out better than the other, or were they all half? Uh, wheat was the best out of everything. Yep. It was a little more drought-resistant for whatever reason. Sure, sure. So um, are you normally done by this time with everything? Um, Normally,
3: give or take, yeah, absolutely. We are normally. um, This is the latest frost we've ever had, or not ever had, but been a long time since this latest frost. Haven't had a frost yet.
0: Yeah, Yeah, even down here, we're at about our average first frost date right now, and I don't know, maybe we'll get a frost late this week or next week or something, but a lot of people have been talking about that same thing. I mean, I always hope for a late frost, but yeah, this year, a lot of things finished early because we also had drought. I I mean, we must have gotten a little more rain than you did, but uh, it's been rough in an an enormous area here in uh, in the northern United States and southern Canada. So, uh, what are you thinking as you go into next year? Is that changing kind of any of your thoughts now going into next year because of this drought? Are you kind of still planning the same rotation, or what are you thinking?
4: Similar. Similar rotation. It's hard to vary too much
3: from the rotation
4: from year
0: to year, but there might be a few swing acres one way or another, but it won't be drastic. Sure, sure. So were there any fields that maybe did a little better than others? I mean, was there anything at all that you maybe did through this drought that that helped the crop at all? Or was it basically just the heavier the ground, the more yield you had, and that was it? Still there, Brent? We lose you? All right, we'll check on Brent there quick. I would just say um, we certainly feel for Brent and, and everybody who was affected by the drought this year. If you go to the, the National Drought Monitor map for either the United States or Canada, you will see it's a massive area that got affected. Um, it's it's just an unfortunate deal, but, you know, that's, that's just part of farming. And we all take that risk every year. So there are a lot of professions you can get into if you don't like risk, but unfortunately, uh, farming is not one of those. So we, we constantly have to be dealing with all the adversity that, uh, that we could possibly face, whether it's the weather or weeds, insects, diseases. I mean, there are just there are issues that pop up all the time. So we talk about this quite often to say, you know, as much as you can, we just encourage you to try to spread your risk a little bit. Uh, planting a diversity of crops and maturities and uh, trying some different things in your farm because you just never quite know what's going to hit and what's not from one year to the next all right uh, let's get back to the phone lines now we got John calling in uh, also from Ontario uh, up in or from Ontario up in Canada uh, John how are you today not so bad Brian how are you good uh, how are you guys coming with harvest
3: uh, well it's been a struggle um, we had a couple good days about two
4: weeks ago, two or three, and then, uh, we got about five inches of rain, we kept at the field for about ten days, and we got one day mm-hmm. harvest day last week, where the beans weren't really dry, but we went anyway, and, uh, um, then it rained for the weekend, and we're just getting going here again now, and I'm trying to get up a hill with a load of tartar beans, and I keep spinning out, so...
0: It is what it is, I guess. Yep. How are the yields?
3: Um, they're, these ones are going to do better than 50, I think. But. Uh, uh, sorry, I am stuck. Anyway, I'll stop. <laughs> so, I'll just wait
0: here. Um, <laughs> great. Uh, that's what we want to be known for here on Egg PhD Radio. Yeah, call us in if you want to get stuck. Uh, it, it, that's,
3: it, <laughs> no, it is what it is. Um, it's it just it, it's just greasy enough. Um, these sole yields. Um, we didn't get much rain in August. So the yields haven't been spectacular. These ones. Now we're about an hour away from our home base, and these ones are yielding north of fifty. Yeah. Uh, somewhere around fifty-five, we think. So that's yep. pretty decent for this area. Yep. We like to see sixty, but that almost never happens. Sure. So, um, yeah, you know, we just we missed August rains make soybeans right, and we just didn't get them.
0: So. Yep. Yep, yep, we're in the same boat. So how about corn?
4: Uh, I haven't started any corn yet. Some guys have done a little bit of corn. Um, The moisture is incredibly low for our area, like 22 to 25 is what I'm hearing. And so uh, hang on a sec,
0: Brent. Yep. No, I keep sliding, Kyle. I'm gonna to have to wait for my people to start Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, John, <laughs> sure. our, our phone call isn't the most important thing in the world. So, if you if you want to go, uh, that, that that's perfectly fine with me. So, you, you get yourself unstuck over there and be safe.
4: Well, you know what? I just I just talked to the farmer, and I guess there's a uh, there's a lane on the other side of this tree line that I'm trying to get up. Yep. So we'll, we'll get it worked out, and we always do. <laughs> Uh, you can hear all that probably, can you? Uh, yep,
0: yep, yep. We sure can. <laughs> okay. We're so, having a great day
4: here, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Yeah. So, <laughs> somebody take care out
0: there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I, I was just going to say, I'll let you go, John, but uh, uh, sorry you got stuck. Glad to hear harvest at least has been moving along a little bit and that yields are okay. Hopefully, the corn turns out uh, well, good uh, for you.
2: I am able to. I'm able to back down the hill
4: here, and uh, I guess there's a laneway on the other side of this tree line that I can come up, so I'm just going to do that, I guess. <laughs> you know what, Brian? I figured when Janelle, when Janelle messaged me
0: this morning, I thought, yeah, this probably will work out just fine. So... Anyway. Yep, that's you, the way farming the goes. farming is impractical, I, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, John, uh, we, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks a lot for calling in today, and uh, hopefully you turn out okay over there.
4: It'll all be good. Thanks a lot, Brian. You guys take care. Everyone out there, have, have a safe and happy harvest. Yep. you got
0: to keep smiling is what you got to do. <laughs> you bet. Thanks, John. All right. So uh, hopefully for whoever is going to call in next, they aren't also getting stuck out there. You know, quite frankly, I, I will I, I will say I almost a couple of times this year wouldn't have minded getting stuck just because then I know we would have at least had some rain. So we haven't had, we've barely had any rain here in the last year and a half. So it's been a little frustrating on that end. And then you get the flip side where guys like John are just trying to get harvest done. And all of a sudden they get five inches of rain and now they're getting stuck and, So, anyway, that's uh, just the fun of farming. All right. uh, Again, we're just talking harvest here on the show today. If you want to call in, the number's 844-44-AG-PHD. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, this question comes from Jack asking about lime. He says, what's the density of the lime you spread with the side slinger on the TV show? We have some that the quarry said was probably a 1,000 pounds per cubic foot, then it got 3 inches of rain on it, and now you have to spoon-feed the buggy and ride with a shovel." Uh, Jack, that does not sound like fun if you're going to be riding with a shovel. So you have to have the right equipment to get this stuff going. Sometimes when you don't, you just have to let that lime sit there and dry down a little bit. But yeah, that's one of the things a lot of guys talk about why they like pelletized lime, because then they can just go spread it, don't have any real big issues or anything. Uh, but It does take some type of good slinger spreader in a lot of cases to get this wet lime spread. I don't know exactly what the density has been of ours. I pulled up some of our old lime tests. Uh, So I got one here that's 67% moisture, another 51% moisture. Uh, I had another one that was 44% moisture. So um, I I guess I, I, I just, I don't know, but I do know if you have the right equipment, you can do some pretty wet stuff. And if it's unbelievably wet, then, yeah, like I say, you just have to let that sit for a little bit. So we want to wish you the best of luck. Hopefully you're not uh, doing this with a shovel a whole lot longer. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
3: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad-suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com.
0: We've been broadcasting Ag PhD Radio here on Sirius XM Channel 147 for over eight years now. And in all that time, I'm pretty sure with the thousands of callers we've had that no one's ever actually gotten stuck in a tractor well on a call with us. That's exactly what happened to John just a minute ago uh, up in Ontario, Canada. Hopefully that doesn't happen to our next caller, but we got Brent on with us from out in Colorado. Brent, I'm guessing it's not quite so wet where you're at.
4: No, Brian. I might get stuck in the dust, and that would be (laughs) (laughs) be about where we're at out here. So, yeah, that's pretty funny, but uh, that was pretty good. So, yeah.
0: So, I hear you get a question about Canada thistle. Yes, and
4: I know you guys had it on a week or two ago, but um, picking up the last of our proso millet in this particular field, there's a lot more Canada thistle out there than what I'd like to see, and. And I know in the spring, you know, we usually go with the growth regulator, but is that, do I go out there with Roundup now? Uh, What's your suggestion on chemical and then rate? And that's, that's basically it. It will be fallow next summer. And that's pretty much the only weed
3: out there is the
0: Canada thistle. Oh, okay. Well, at least that is the only weed, so that's good news. I would just say we used to fight Canada thistle every year as well. It was a a real thorn in our side, but eventually we got it under control and Roundup was really the way that we did it primarily. So... The thing with Roundup is you want to make sure that you're going with a pretty good strong rate. Try to do it before your first frost, though. So have you had a frost already?
4: No, it's supposed to come this week. And so I might be able to squeeze this field in in the morning. And, you know, it's not going to be a hard frost. And that was my next question. But any freeze will slow that plant's metabolism down.
0: Yep, yep. Yep. So yeah, your control percentage will drop once you've had that frost, even if it seems like the plant is starting to grow again. Uh, So I I would just say you want to absolutely hit it before the frost. That's a real big key. So... In the, in the fall. A lot of people talk about fall application. Oh, it's great with Roundup. Well, it is, as long as you're doing it before the frost. And then just make sure you're using a good strong rate. So I'm going to assume the mornings are relatively cool now, like in the 40s probably for you? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so already that plant has started to slow down. So just, um, I'll I'll use the word my dad always used to use, uh, don't get chintzy on the rate. So (laughs) I know Roundup's costing a little bit more right now or RT3 or whatever, but just make sure you're using a good, strong rate. So a lot of times for Canada thistle, we're talking at least two quarts of a four pound material. So for a six pound material, that's at least 1.3 quarts and that's the bare, bare minimum.
3: Okay. That's uh, exactly
4: what I needed to know. Yep. And
0: just oh. AMS? Uh, Yeah. That'd
4: be all I yep. need. Was. Yes.
0: Yes. So so here's my other suggestion. Don't put a growth regulator with it, a 2,4-D or dicamba, because that'll shut the plant down before the Roundup gets in through that entire root system. And then the other thing I'd advise you not to do is don't till first. If you're going to do any tillage, do it at least, let's say, three, four days after you've sprayed the Roundup.
4: Okay, super. Very good. All right. Sure
0: appreciate it. You bet. Good luck. Thanks, Brian. Yep, thank okay, you. Bye. So, yeah, Brent was talking about Canada thistle there, and one of the big things that helped us get past Canada thistle was once stinger came out. So we could use that in corn or in wheat, and we went with pretty high rates of stinger in the thistle patches because that's basically what we had for the most part was patches. So between the Roundup and the stinger, uh, then over just a few years, Canada thistle went from being literally the worst weed we had on our farm to almost non-existent. I mean, I I really am struggling to think of the last time I even saw a Canada thistle on our 3,200 acre, 3, crop acres. So we just did that much of a number on that over time. So anyway, Roundup absolutely is super effective. It's just things have to be actively growing, and you definitely want to do it before the frost. All right, uh, let's get back to the egg PhD mailbag here. This one comes in from Josh. He says, I've got a neighboring dairy farm that is interested in buying my corn to fill their high moisture corn needs. Now, the dairy typically does a corn cob mix, and I'm wondering your thoughts on the most accurate way to sell the corn to them. I've debated taking the dry weight bushels off the combine monitor and the cob would be added to the total yield and selling at the local market rate of dry corn, but not sure if this is best. Now, Josh, I don't have an exact story for you on that, and I don't have an exact number for you on that either, because I do believe that it will vary depending on how good your corn is. But let's, here's my story. Uh, So we've got a, there was a dairy next to us that sold out to somebody else. And now it's a much, much, much bigger dairy today. Well, anyway, we started selling some silage to that. We'd always sold them, you know, just a tiny little bit of silage. And last year we sold some, and this year we sold quite a bit of silage to them. Well, this year we also had just a little bit of hail late in the season, and I don't know if it was the hail or anything else. So we got to do more testing, or I should say, more analysis of all our data, comparing the silage because we have everything. It's all GPS marked, you know, the silage, the the grain harvest. So I got to really thoroughly analyze it. But the first field I analyzed it on, um, we we had a lot more grain bushels where we harvested the grain than what we got for using our factor for the silage tons. And so what I'm saying to you is this. For most of us who are used to grain farming, we just want to at least come out even working with these people that want high-moisture corn or want silage. What I don't want is to take some big hit that costs me two, $300 an acre. So my suggestion is I would probably base everything on grain yield and go from there. And then the dairy that you're working with, I just say look, you can come in and have somebody evaluate it yourself, but I mean otherwise here's my data off our farm and and you know the other thing just so everybody is crystal clear on what's happening, it probably would be a good idea if Even maybe the dairy was out there or you had some scale tickets. You had something to verify your data. Because I will say, if you don't calibrate your yield monitor, it can be off a long ways. It is not uncommon for a yield monitor to be off 20 bushels. Well, 20 bushels one way or the other could be good for you or could be good for the dairy or whatever. And all I think most any of us want is just something that's actually fair. So no, uh, I don't think I would go by uh, just... The, the tons that get sold or anything like that, you certainly could if you wanted to, but the cobs do vary a lot from plant to plant, variety to variety. And so if it's me, I'm probably just going to look at, hey, what's my grain? And then kind of go from there. So sorry, I don't have anything more specific on your particular question, but I would say I'm most interested in what my yield is and, and calculating it off of that. All right. Uh, let's see. Next question here. I've gotten a, a bunch of good questions in that it's going to take me a little while to answer, so I'm going to save those for for our next segment. Uh, but let's let's hit this one. Scott asks, hi, guys. I wondered if your Ag PhD Insider magazine was available in Canada. Well, Scott, yes, it is. Uh, it costs just a little bit more uh, because the shipping to get up into Canada, but uh, yes, it is available in Canada. Uh, Next one is from Arik, who asks, if frost gets your corn before it black layers, can you still save the seed to plant out next year? I planted a rare corn, and I wanted to save the seed. It's starting to dent now, and I'm hoping it makes it before frost. All right, so first of all, I would just say, most people plant hybrid corn, so that's why very few farmers are going to save their corn and then plant it for seed. Also, you have to make sure that that corn is not patented or that there's some rule that you can't replant it because there is that with corn and a number of other seeds that are out there. So just make sure what you're doing is actually legal. But I will say, if you get a frost right before black layer, is it possible that you may have decent germination? Well, it's possible. It's just certainly a lot less likely. And the only way you're really going to know is to send some seeds in for a germination test. Now certainly you could run your own little germination test or plant some in some soil in your house or something like that. So, I mean, there are ways to figure that out yourself too, but otherwise my best suggestion is just send it in for analysis. Uh, Typically the germination is not going to be great unless you've made it to black layer but it is also possible that you might have a germ that is acceptable. All right. Once again, today we are just talking harvest here. If you'd like to give us a harvest update from your farm, or if you have any questions for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
2: If you've ever wondered how the farm all got its name.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. This next question comes from Tim. He says, hi guys, I'm trying to uh, get into taking my own soil samples. I bought a probe from my soils lab. My question is, my probe has a mark at 6 inches, or will it take a 12-inch of pushed-in till the foot peg? Uh, So anyway, here's where he's going with this. He's basically having issues with the soil compacting. And so he's wondering, all right, what do I do about that? So my suggestion is you're still only going to six inches, even though it only looks like you might have four or five inches of soil in the probe. You go down to a certain point and uh, then you bring that soil in. So that's that's what I would say. So you want to keep going to whatever mark you set. Now, I, I don't necessarily care that much if you choose to go 0 to 6, 0 to 8, 0 to 12, whatever. His, his next question here is, my soil sample bags only say 0 to 6 or 6 to 24 inch. So what's the best depth to be testing at and when's the best time of year to test? I like testing right away in the fall, so that way I have all winter to look at the data. You can certainly test in the spring too. Now, by fall, what I mean is, Within a month or two of freeze up, so I, I I'm I'm not saying, uh, let's see, let's call it uh, the fifteenth of August. So if let's say you harvest wheat and you go, yep, I'm gonna soil test and I'm not gonna do anything to that ground. I'm not gonna touch it until next spring, and I have like three months of warm weather in the fall, and I'm gonna plant late in the spring. So I got a couple months of warm weather before I even plant in the spring that's a little bit different. If I was in that kind of situation, then I may consider doing spring testing or something a little bit closer to when I'm actually going to plant that crop. But nevertheless, if you don't have a lot of stuff growing out there or anything growing out there in the meantime, it's not going to change much. It actually just might go up in terms of nutrient levels a little bit. So I don't mind the soil testing, even if it's a little bit on the early side. I just like testing in the fall. In terms of the depth, You could certainly write in on those sample bags or just let the lab know, hey, I'm going to test 0 to 8, or some people only like 0 to 4 inch. I don't necessarily care what you do, but here's what I would say. 0 to 6 is the standard. If you're doing a lot of strip till down to, let's say, 7 inches deep, maybe even 8, then maybe you want to go down to 8 or 9 or 12 inches, something like that, as a standard test. So, I don't have any issue with that either way. It's really a judgment call on whatever you choose to do. I will tell you on our farm, we do primarily zero to six inch. And then on just a few spots here and there, we will do a six to 24 inch. But rather than that, I like doing a six to 12, a 12 to 18, and an 18 to 24, just in a few spots on the farm. I'm not talking many where we're going deep, but we're doing a lot of the zero to six inch tests. Okay, anyway, he says here, I'm using your Ag PhD Soils app and planning to do three acre grids. Do I test the whole field the first year and go to a different spot in the grid the following year and a third spot on year three? No, I would not do that. That is not my recommendation. Uh, you can certainly do that if you would like to, because what he's suggesting here is, well, then in effect, I've kind of made it one acre grids over a three-year period. Um If you want to treat it that way, then set it up as one-acre grids and only test a third of them. I'd rather have you do it that way, but it's totally up to you, however you want to sample. I just like it where we can repeat and we can find out, okay, did I do a good job uh, with whatever my fertility program was? Am I getting ahead or am I falling behind? So I like being able to repeat it. I like going to the exact same spot using a GPS coordinate. The other thing that we do with those GPS coordinates is then we will compare those to yield. So if I've got soil test versus yield, that really helps me over time figure out what fertility things are paying and which ones are not. All right, he says here, do you have a high fertility soil sample result that I can strive to achieve on my own soil and compare what I currently have? It seems like the question got longer, this question got longer than it needed to be. Oh, and then he's uh, uh, well here let me just answer that one so it really depends on your soil type so if you send us some of your soil tests then I'll, I'll kind of let you know a little bit more I will tell you on our ground what I'm shooting for when I've got 20 CEC just as an example so what I'm kind of looking for and also this varies depending on the soil uh, test that you're using so for example, on our farm now, we're using a malic 3 test. Well, when I'm using a Malik-3 test, my numbers are going to be a little bit different than using a DTPA test or like an Olsen test for phosphorus or something like that. So what I'm shooting for here on our own farm, uh, and again, this heavy soil... And I'm going for high yields. I'm going for 250, 300 bushel corn. I'm going for 80 bushel soybeans at least. So that's what I'm shooting for. So at least our good ground, that's what we're going to fertilize to. I would say I'm shooting for at least 100 on phosphorus, parts per million. Um, on potassium, I want to be somewhere in the 6 to 7% base saturation K range, maybe even a little more than 7% would be fine. I want my zinc to be in ratio with my phosphorus, so I'm probably looking at the 10 to 1 kind of ratio, maybe 12 to 1. So if I'm 8 parts per million on zinc, I'm feeling pretty good about that phosphorus to zinc ratio. Copper, there's also a phosphorus to copper ratio, so I probably want to have my copper levels around 3 parts per million. Uh, Manganese, with a malic 3, I'm probably looking at at least 50 parts per million there or more. And then iron, I just need that to be above my My manganese. So I'm probably talking 100, 150, maybe 200 parts per million on iron, something like that. And boron, with heavy soil, I want to be at least three parts per million on boron, preferably even more than that, five. And I don't think six seven is out of the realm of possibility for some of this really heavy ground we've got but again this is my farm you got to be really careful about some of these nutrients and getting things out of balance and especially on light soils you you really have to be careful what you do because there are nutrients obviously as i'm sure you know boron sulfur and nitrogen that can all be leachable so got to be real careful with those all right next question here oh uh Sorry, I'll take that back. Tim had one more question. Do you have an app that can be downloaded on a Roku player uh, to watch your TV show? Uh, At at least at this point, we do not, uh, Tim. But what we do have is on our website at agphd.com, you can go to that and you can see our show on agphd.com. All right, Uh, next one is from Michael. He said, My latest soil test in the first field I finished combining shows a consistent need for manganese. A six inch soil sample has four to 12 parts per million. This is a nutrient I haven't addressed in the past uh, from a foliar, oh, aside from a foliar application. So I've asked my dealer about spreading manganese. I kind of got the feeling from my dealer that no one had asked him for a dry broadcast manganese application before. So here are my questions. Is a fall applied manganese broadcast application a good idea for my farm? Look, Michael, it could be. I will say this though. If you're getting a DTPA test on manganese, we do not feel those are very accurate. I would get a Malik 3 test at least done for that manganese test. That's why we kind of switched stuff over here recently. So we're running all Malik 3 tests instead of running DTPA tests because on the manganese, I just, I, well, I'll just leave it at that. I just don't think it's very accurate. And so sometimes where we had 50 or 100 parts per million on the Malik 3, we would have that same kind of thing, 4 to 12 on the, that DTPA test. So if, if you're talking a Malik 3 test, I'd say you're absolutely way too low. If you're talking a DTPA, I don't trust that. I don't know if it would help or not, an application. So we have done a lot of like 50 pounds of manganese sulfate or 100 pounds of manganese sulfate on fields that have almost no manganese. Otherwise, we've done a lot of in manganese, and that has worked out fairly well for us. Alright, next question, and sorry I don't have a name on this one, but it, it says here, is it true that nitrogen from legumes is mostly in amino acid form that doesn't show up in most soil tests? Uh, I would just say that with the nitrogen, it's detectable if it ends up in a form that's available for plants. What happens is with these legume crops, the nitrogen isn't in the form that's available for plants initially, but the bacteria convert it over and deliver it right into the plant. So that that's how I've always known that the nitrogen ends up in those legume crops and sometimes they leave some nitrogen behind and sometimes they don't. So that's why we always suggest soil testing. I was talking about that earlier in the show. All right. And the last question comes from Brian. He says, can I dissolve manganese sulfate in my liquid 28% nitrogen? Uh, You could try that, Brian. There are a lot of manganese sulfates we've experimented with and found it will mix in water. Now, to think it's going to mix in 28%, honestly, I don't know. I haven't run that exact experiment. You could try that out and see how it goes. We really do worry about having any kind of clumping or plugging tips or anything like that. So be a little careful. Start on a really, really small scale before you go any further. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff, thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.